Morning, Patriots. And today is Thursday, February 22nd in the year 2024. <laughs> I swear we just started February. I woke up this morning. I'm like, man, it's like your sleep times get shorter these days. It's like the days go faster. I mean it. I'm serious. We literally just started February and we have just six days left. This is insane. Wow. We are literally in a pretty critical time in our world. I'm going to play a clip this morning, much longer than I normally do. It's a clip on an interview with Julian Assange's wife, and I think it's an important clip to play. It's a Tucker Carlson interview. It's an outstanding piece. 
It's just a good recap of all the insanity. Julian Assange has been in jail for 1,000. He's been actually in the Belmarsh prison, not even in jail, because he was under house arrest at the Ecuadorian embassy before that. But he was, he's been in the Belmarsh prison for 1,460 days without charge. And that's literally 12% of his adult life, if you want to put it in perspective that way. So this is a unprecedented time. And yet they're saying that he could face in up to 175 years in jail. All that's saying is they charge him. They just never want him out. What they're trying to do is get Assange moved to the United States, extradited so that they could, he could be stuck inside of some black hole prison that we have. And I'm bringing this up because there's a lot to this statement of Assange that if we unravel it, we're going to have to look again at the country that we like to wave our flag about and cheer about and vote politics for and pretend that President Trump is going to change the world. And when you look at the layers of things that have to be changed, we have to start to really realize that structurally this entire country has been built to be a slave prison state and it has been building for years. And if you're familiar at all with black sites, which we have them around the country and they are prisons, federal prisons where literally once they put you in there, you disappear. You will never be heard from again unless they want you to be heard from. And they're funded by taxpayer dollars and they're, it's a public-private partnership with all of our prisons on this country. And it's something that, at the end of the day, they make money on. You know my story because I was thrown in jail for 20 days, not charged until after the 20 days. And originally put in the Billings, Montana jail and transferred to Denver. And it gave me a glimpse up to the brokenness of the system. All those charges were bunk, and ultimately everything that I was charged with was not only re kicked out, removed, but then that case was sealed. Tomorrow night I have on Pete Santilli, who spent over 600 days in jail, and a, a good portion of that in solitary confinement when he was took the stand to be with Lavoy Finnegan and the Bundys. And Lavoy Finnegan was brutally murdered in my state, Oregon, by a treasonous Oregon state police officer to this day who we don't know his name, gunned down in cold blood. And then all of these people were rounded up as terrorists. All of this was part of an operation to stir up hatred within the United States and to foster a civil war. That was the FBI's plan, the same plan that they used in January 6th. And the problem is that they're so good at this. And I've said this, and you'll hear this tomorrow night. And it was an interesting discussion that Pete and I had because I asked him a question from his experience. And it was just a question of one of the reasons I've told you why I don't cover January 6th heavily. It's not that I don't believe there's patriots in there. The problem is there's too many anomalies, and I've had this confirmed with two people now. One is Ivan Ranklin, and now this is Pete Santilli, that there's too many questions around these people in jail that have cell phones. And I, it's too easy for us to brush off details. 
And people will say, well, their lawyers got it to them or they're in a low security prison. Let me assure you, in jail, you do not get a cell phone unless you smuggle it in. And if you are publicly recognized with it, you will pay a price by going into the hole or, or solitary confinement. So there's a lot of things in these J6 anomalies. And I'm not saying there aren't good patriots there. Believe me, I know there are. But the problem is discerning who is who is the big problem. Because part of this, that the games that we play, is they've infiltrated everything. And they're part of the reason that's happening is in the United States, people just become so trusting. And they just think like, well, I'm a conservative and that's a conservative cause, so no one's going to bother me. They're raising money on various conservative causes and sending it over to the other side. This is happening regularly. They're getting inside cases so they can monitor and hear what's going on so that they can use that to get the case thrown out or or ruin the, the legal precedent so that they can bury information. I mean, this, these operations are huge. So for those that are, I mean, I've had people ask me many times, like, why do you not cover January 6th? It's because it's a very convoluted issue. I can cover the topical issues, but it's a very convoluted issue. Julian Assange is another one of these topics that I haven't covered a lot, not because I don't, believe in Julian Assange, but that was a very contentious issue and there's a lot of things at play, but this is coming to surface now as he's getting into his last transfer. And I want to just point out that if you remember all this Q thing, Assange was, and I stayed out of the Assange debate, but Assange was supposed to have been set free and he was going to be the magic key that unlocked everything and the whole world was going to be set free. And he had all this information with these, these dead drop systems that were going to happen. And none of that happened. And I'm I'm not I'm not putting anything on Julian Assange. I am putting everything on the nonsense that flows around these cases that people don't look honestly at what's going on. Julian Assange again has sat in literally sat in Belmarsh prison without charge in London for one thousand four hundred and sixty days. And we go around and we we wave our hands in the air. It's like if you've ever seen Team America, it's like Durka Durka Muhammad Jihad when these little guys are running around with their hands up in the air going, ah. That we do this and like forget that there's a human being involved in this. And what that means. I mean, Bundy's fell off the radar. It was thanks to President Trump that they got out. And that corruption happened just north of me three hours in the Multnomah jail where we have corrupt judges and corrupt police officers up there. And they're not all corrupt, but the problem is the ones that are good aren't doing enough to get rid of the corruption. So it's we're all kind of sitting here with this infection around us, and we just kind of want to go on our days and forget about things and pretend it didn't happen. So we always have this balance. We can't forget people, but we also have to sort out the corruption. Julian Assange is one person as a demonstration of a lot here. And it's it really begs a question of what our system is doing and what we're allowing. And when we start to get into the forget into jail, put them into jail and forget everybody, it's too easy. It really is too easy. Now, in fairness to what I've said, and just to be level on the table here, because I'm not, I've made the comment of why I don't cover January 6th much. And at the same time, there are good patriots in there that can't be forgotten. So hat tip to those that can cover it a lot. I am 
I just tend to pull back a bit on this because there's a lot of things in those cases that need to be asked the hard questions, and that's the issue that people don't want to ask. Julian Assange is, I will tell you, I was anti-Assange when I was in Afghanistan. I was like, I was one of those going, this guy needs to be removed. I was one of those. Openly tell you that. Because I saw, I bought into the propaganda state nonsense that he was putting troops at risk because of the information that he leaked. I'm not on that page anymore. Openly would repent on that one. Because what Assange was doing was showing us what we didn't want to see. What we didn't want to see was how corrupt and vile our government was. Didn't want us to, we didn't want to look at the nearly one million children that we slaughtered in Iraq in the name of freedom. We didn't want to look at the use of drone strikes against journalists or the use of drone strikes against innocents. This was happening. And it's it gets into a layered system of, of, of destruction of the moral character of a nation. And in this particular hour, these are things that we do need to be aware of because our country is sliding down deeply into a, an abyss. And while I am always going to say we will overcome this in the end, we have to start making some hard decisions of who and where we want to be in our life and what choices we want to make. I want to start this discussion here with a clip, I think it's David Icke, I want you to hear this, because I think he has just has some really good perspectives. And this takes you back to Margaret Thatcher when she was trying to deal with, when they were dealing with taxation in England. So take a listen. Large numbers of people simply refused to pay the tax. What happened? They had to change the tax and drop it. Not only that, it was the start of the end for Margaret Thatcher, who was perceived as the Iron Lady and who was impregnable. And all people have done is say, no, not doing it. Someone comes out of Downing Street, someone comes out of the White House. They say, we've had a meeting and this is what's going to happen. What if enough people say, we're not doing it? Where is their power? There is none. The power of the few is in the acquiescence of the many. And if we stop acquiescing with our own enslavement, we cannot be enslaved. If we go on as we are, we'll live in a fascistic Orwellian global state within decades. And I'm being seriously optimistic when I say decades. If we take our power back and we start questioning and, and we, we stop fighting among ourselves, then 7.5 billion people can't be controlled by a handful. If the 7.5 billion, A, know what's going on, and B, won't have it. Yeah, this is a very disturbing time that we're in. And it's the problem is it's the, the appreciation of the mass numbers I think that we're just missing and why and why that's happening. This is a piece by um, RFK Jr. on Julian Assange. I want to, Julian Assange's trial is ongoing right now. Oh, and by the way, just as a 
quick note, there is apparently a, a number of widespread blackouts and outages today of cell phones. It's been ongoing, multiple carriers. So I guess if you're a, a Q worshiper, you'd be now saying 10 days of darkness and the white hats are in control and um, they're taking down the cabal. So uh, you can have that pile of, of frosting if you want, or we could just say that the infrastructure is horrible and they're probably resetting data so that we can, um, so they can hide the, the path of the destruction, which they've done, which is more likely. And then when a couple other announcements before I jump into this, cause it is important. And I, I did get a little longer intro monologue than normal, but I'm pretty passionate about this whole topic of freedom for some strange reason, maybe cause I believe in the constitution. Uh, we have met our goal and, and now we're moving into, and I'll talk more about this tonight. It's a really big deal, but I'm just going to talk more in detail, but we have been, we're meeting our goal for the property in the first phase of funding in the property in Kentucky. I'll confirm that later today. I want to thank you. And I don't want to stop because we have a second round of funding coming. But it's, I mean, right away, we're transitioning into this. And I will give all this details tonight, but we are doing fantastic. There's been over $15,000 raised. And there's some other resources that are coming in outside of Give, Send, Go, which are significant. And I'm going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that those sorts of support that we've had, had which has been incredible. All that to say is, if all goes as planned... I will be able to shortly announce that we are moving into the next phase, which means the property will become part of Bars Nation. So let's just keep up the push, which is really good news. So thank you, and let's just keep that going. And again, I'm going to give, hopefully give those details tonight. And there's reasons I'm holding back because I need to confirm some things before we jump into that. But in the meantime, we need to continue to race towards our goal, our first goal, which is the goal of $27,000. we are doing fantastic, and I want to thank you all for that. And um, it's really, really fantastic. Um, also want to remind you that one of the things that I've committed to, and it's just in honor of a really good man, and at that property, we are, we are going to create a permanent grill space, which will be called Sammy's Grill. And that is in honor of Jim Conley, who um, lost his son on the last day of Bard's Fest. And we just want to memorialize that. Jim is absolutely, was unbelievably strong and never let that interrupt his mission for delivering food so people could sit and break bread and literally have an experience with Jesus. So a lot of powerful moments that happened at Bards Fest that have defined us and defined us as a nation. And um, it's really beautiful. So this is the sort of things that we want to continue to do. Also have a call out to our sponsor. And that's this morning. We're going to talk about my Patriot supply. All of these things we talk about are massive disruptions and food is at the core of what they do. And what they want to do is to keep everybody and on the edge, strip away the food and ultimately get to the place where people have no authority and no control. We are living in a system right now that is completely being redesigned 
at a global level. And this redesigning is a vision that artificial intelligence will replace governments and we will be at the mercy of having digital chipping and everything will be in part of the digital system. So it's just something to keep in mind that we have to be able to resist. The key piece to the colonial era was that people were doing small farms and they were able to supply food to troops. We need to be able to have ourselves in a position where we're stable, we can deal with disruptions and deal with the shock of systems likely to come, false flags and a variety of other things, which they're definitely seeming to be ramping up to. This is where you need to have a good emergency food system foundation. And this is where I point you to preparewithbards.com. Preparewithbards.com. Very important uh, offering there, which is the four-week emergency food kit, which is currently on sale for $60 off. It's a critical part of everybody's, or should be, part of everybody's food planning system. My Patriot Supply is the largest supplier of emergency food. These kits come with 2,000 calories a day. They're sealed in four-layer bags that have a 25-year shelf life. And they're ideal for that foundational piece in uh, an emergency food supply. So check it out. Head on over to preparewithbards.com. Yeah, crazy stuff. And let me play this piece on Julian Assange. This is from uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Take a listen. You all know that Julian Assange is a heroic wizard. You all know that Julian Assange is a heroic whistleblower. He stood up for democracy. He stood against the surveillance state. He stood against government corruption. He's battled for all of our freedoms. And he made the tremendous sacrifice where he now is jailed and faces life imprisonment and extradition to the United States. The urgency to pardon him cannot wait. It can't wait till I become president. We need to get it done now. Please sign the petition urging President Biden to immediately pardon Julian Assange. Thank you all very much. We still have an opportunity to make a significant difference in the awakening piece. It's not that we won't ever have a significant difference, but things are moving as at a really, really rapid pace. And when I say that, they're moving at a pace of change and a place of enslavement that is, like David Icke stated, that is really something. I mean, and faster than I think we realize. This is a post in... Um, George News that came from Laura Loomer, and I just want to read this. It says, um, just left one of the first migrant camps I visited today in Panama where I found the Hyas tent. And for the record, I totally disavow Hyas. Hyas stands for Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. How dare these people help facilitate the invasion of America under the guise of Judaism? Look at the sign I saw inside the camp. Hyas is literally providing a service of route information. In other words, Hyas is giving the illegals maps and information on the best routes to take so they can get to the United States. Treason! Exclamation point. And at the same time, while we are dealing with that invasion, we have a demonic invasion happening, literally. And I'm not exaggerating, and it's all centered in our LGBTQ movement, which is not surprisingly gaining momentum because people are so spiritually broken. 
um, this is what you're going to hear. I swear, this is not mental illness. This is straight up demonic. Take a listen. This is the neighborhood, and you are not welcome. That's why I need to be here. Ah! We need Jesus, ma'am. Ah! He can save you. He can give you a new heart. God can give you a new heart so that you love what God loves. No, that's irrational. Yeah. So if you didn't have your alarm this morning, welcome. I'm sure that woke you up pretty well. So, yeah, just what we all need is a little bit of screaming LGBTQ in the morning to get us all going. So before I go to the Assange clip, I want to play this piece. This is disturbing. It should be for everybody. Uh, this is a principle of view of Ukraine put out by, this is a video put out in the conjunction with the world, with the World Economic, it's not the World Economic, it's World Governance Forum, where Tucker Carlson spoke recently, was in the front row after visiting with Putin. And it's a vision of Ukraine after the war with Russia. This is a vision of 2030. And this is the vision they're trying to move all governments to. Part of the process that's, that's in play right now is to move artificial intelligence into the place where it's running all of the systems of governance. So part of what we're witnessing in this game is that we're seeing a transition to where they expose one evil cabal and the new leadership cabal that is starting to take control is pushing towards a AI governance of the world. And in that, all systems become run. You have a, an inability to function unless you take the mark, if you're going to participate in anything in the system. Now, I say all these things because this is part of what we keep talking about in terms of county by county and getting people to understand that there's an essential need to start building strongholds and coming together and learning to live off the land. The place we're in right now with the death shot, which, by the way, just to highlight, there is not a single candidate other than maybe RFK, because I'm pretty sure he's denounced the shot. He's been pretty vocal about it. But we're talking about the death shot. That's RFK Jr. Everybody out here wants to bury this thing. The Pentagon has launched its own programs, in fact, to monitor social media, media posts that make our generals look bad. We're in a critical time of massive despotic leadership, military tyranny, all driven by the military-industrial industrial complex, that all see what I'm about to show you as their new oyster, in, in order the words, the pearl that they can pluck, because this is all about contracts and technologies that since, if they don't make them and don't do them, our economy fails. So I go back again to that statement by David Icke, which is we have a very much a great deal of power in denying and saying no to things, but there's too much of a willingness, it seems, of even though people are waking up, we still are heavily dependent in many circles, increasingly dependent on the technologies. And so it's necessary to start pulling back. We're using technologies where we can, but limiting our access and limiting our influence, our, our presence in technology as much as we can. So take a listen to this two-minute piece. This is a vision of Ukraine, supposedly, a future vision of Ukraine for 2030. 
спосіб проведення спеціальної військової операції на Донбасі. Росія здійснила удари по нашій військовій інфраструктурі. Let's look eight years ahead. 2030. The history of the new Ukraine is studied all over the globe. Why? Because Ukraine became the most digital and convenient country in the world. Scripts have replaced bureaucrats. 500,000 former public servants are successfully integrated in the new economy. No more red tape, but paperless. No more banknotes, but cashless. Yes, we became the first country to abandon paper money. Ukraine now has the best tax system for the IT industry and the most affordable e-residency. Thanks to Ukrainian engineers and programmers, the R&D centers of the world's top technology companies operate successfully, and Ukraine ranks first in the world by the number of startups per capita. Ukrainian courts are guided by artificial intelligence, and all notarial acts take place online. Ukrainian customs is fully automatic and the fastest in the world. Customs clearance and car registration can now be done in three clicks from your smartphone. Because of war and internal migration, we have built the most flexible and modern digital education. Brave military and civilians get quality treatment with modern remote monitoring and e-health systems. Ukraine also has the most effective cyber defense in the world. After the horrors of 2022, Ukraine focused on security systems. Now every production facility has its air defense system, and the sleep of Ukrainians is protected by an ultra-modern iron dome. The Ukrainian government is digital, more like an IT company in terms of the efficiency of implementing decisions, and one can register a land plot, start construction, open a business or get a license, and register a car or real estate from a smartphone automatically in one click. Ukraine is the freest and digital. This is all because international partners and the world's leading technology companies supported the Digital for Freedom initiative and united to help Ukraine recover through digitalization. Building a new Ukraine together, free and the fastest, brave and digital. This is where you bury truth forever in that model and AIs take over and rewrite the histories and they're now teaching everybody in school and AIs and the power of those AI engines now literally take any footage, any video footage, anything they need to rewrite a history and make it look right. There's an interesting in um, Plastic Girl reporting, if you follow her on Telegram, they've done some interesting things and they've asked the AIs right now to draw pictures of our founding fathers. And if you haven't been following this, it's important because AIs have been programmed to not make any pictures that show white people. George Washington is now black. So we're seeing already the power of the AIs in write, rewriting history. And in doing this, this is part of their bigger vision. And so what does Julian Assange represent? Julian Assange represents a systemic threat because he's still at a critical point in the existence of understanding that Julian Assange shows what the deep state was, what it did, and this is why they hate him so much, because his group, WikiLeaks, was able to reveal a trove of information that demonstrated the true horrors of what this system was about. And I think if we look at back at Julian Assange in a proper context, we're really going to see a 1984 Orwellian moment where somebody speaks up and then ends up being viciously tortured and broken or trying to break him because he showed what the real state was. If you've ever seen the movie, which came out at the same time as the movie of 1984, which aired in 1984, there was another film called Brazil. 
interesting film. It was nominated as the best film of the year in 1984, and there was only two copies of the film in the United States. The film is all about this dystopian world ahead of us in a bizarre and sort of uh, insane view of things. But one of the great scenes, I mean, many of the great scenes we see this is that people are living in this, what's outside the city walls is decimated and nobody knows it because they live within these sealed city places. When we start to pull back the, the layers and start to look at the truth and realize how deep and dark the system is, it's going to take the few to take that torch and pass it on to the next generation and understand that we are literally on the on the last generation to be able to understand the principles of liberty and freedom. And that's rapidly being eroded. And we for whatever wherever we walked, we're now at this moment in time to whether we either pick up that mantle and talk about liberty and freedom or we lose it. And this is not just, even though that's a global issue, unfortunately, across a global perspective, especially in Chinese culture or Indian culture, these principles of freedom of speech, these principles of liberty are not systemic within their culture. And I'm not saying that these people can't understand that, but if you look at who's being hired to run in tech companies in senior areas, you're gonna notice there's a trend it's definitely not white patriot Americans. And for that matter, any patriot Americans at this point in time. And I'm not being racist because it's equally white and black that they're trying to just eliminate right now because we are not obedient classes. Black churches are a major threat right now because unlike many of the white pulpits, they're speaking out on this. This is one of the reasons they waged war against black culture in 2008 by encouraging people in the black culture to get invested into bling, big escalades, put their, get bigger houses, get themselves in debt because that culture remains suspicious of the banking system. So this, this war has been on destroying the core center of the family and, and people in the United States. And we are a generation that now sits on the cusp of either losing liberty and freedom forever, or at least in our lifetimes, and walking into a digital state. And a lot of this is centered, again, at looking at the truth speakers one of which is Julian Assange, and stepping away from the playboys of truth, which I put this in quotations, like Elon Musk. And the irony is that while people worship Elon Musk because he gives, us, gives people the dazzle and bling of being funded by the Defense Department to build the new Skynet system and to have his SpaceX program and to have his electric car program, all of which are integrated systems, all part of the Internet of Things and the digital tracking of everything in your life, all reliant on AIs. And while people celebrate that and his takeover of X, which is proving again and again not to be that forward-leaning, the military-industrial complex is behind Assange. I'm sorry, not Assange, Elon Musk. They are behind Elon Musk. And they're helping make that happen because there's still everything that Musk is doing is on track with enhancing the digital prison that's part of the new world order. It's just who's going to be in the thrones of power. That's it. Assange is someone completely different. He's talking about true freedom of information and what it does to the world. And if people understand truly what he offered, then we get to a place where, quite frankly, 
we can reclaim freedom because there's a whole lot more of us than them. And that gap between their perception of power and our perception of slavedom, which we've inoculated this, the world pretty well with, and our desire for material things, when we can put those things aside and realize how much power we have, these people in power don't have a chance. So this is a 17-minute clip by Tucker Carlson. I want to play it. I think it's very important to hear the whole thing. I think it's a very good interview with Julian Assange's wife and the current state. This is Stella Assange of what's going on with Assange and his extradition. Here we go. Julian Assange has been locked away in one place or another for more than a decade. Julian Assange is so despised by elements within the permanent U.S. government that at one point, CIA Director Mike Pompeo discussed murdering him in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, where he was seeking asylum. Mike Pompeo has never been charged for that, which is a crime. Unelected bureaucrats can't just murder people they don't like. Um, and he probably never will be charged with a crime. Virtually the entire ruling class in Washington is opposed to Julian Assange. And that's the reason that he has sat for years now in Belmarsh Prison in London. Keep in mind, Julian Assange has not been charged with a crime in Great Britain, and yet he's being held there. So this fall, we went to Belmarsh and we asked Julian Assange, why do you think you're being held as the most wanted man in America without ever being charged with a real crime? Here's what he told us. We talked about why he is in prison. And my first question to him was, what do you think this is actually about since you haven't been accused of a crime? And he said something that really struck me. And, and I think having spent my life in Washington is absolutely right. He said he first became famous when WikiLeaks published uh, documents and videos that the U.S. government had kept secret from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. They were gravely embarrassing to the Pentagon. Um, but that's, that wasn't the red line. The red line was several years later when WikiLeaks published information about surveillance by the CIA. And so I asked him directly, are you aware of anyone being harmed or killed on the basis of, of information that he published? He said, of course not. And, and he said it in a sincere way. Like, by the way, I think if people were killed because of his publishing, because of the stories that he put online, he would feel bad about it. I mean, he seems like a humane person. He went to, he withheld information about CIA because he didn't want to get people hurt. He famously published the contents of Hillary Clinton's email account. I asked him, when you published these emails, did you realize how powerful Hillary Clinton was? We had a conversation about that, and I said, looking back, you know, do you regret doing that? He goes, honestly, it was fun. You'll notice that Julian Assange was not in that clip. That was a recap of our conversation with Julian Assange, and the reason we did that was they wouldn't allow us to interview him on camera. So not only are they holding him they hope until he dies in a maximum security prison, but they're also preventing him from telling his own story to the world. All of this is a crime. Every person running for president of the United States should be forced to answer the question, will you pardon Julian Assange if he ever winds up on American soil? So far, no one has been forced to answer that question. We hope that will change. The woman you saw in the clip is Julian Assange's wife, Stella. She has been uh, his greatest advocate uh, in the free world, and she is now leading the effort to stop his extradition to the United States, where he would wind up in a supermax prison, never to be heard from again until he dies. She is a lawyer, a human rights activist, and we're honored to have her join us now. Stella Assange, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Can you give us an update? 
because I know this is taking place right now. It's in progress currently. What the status of this extradition hearing is? Well, look, we've just been in court for two days, and this decision could be the final one. Uh, we didn't know when we were coming into it yesterday whether we would have a decision today. And if the UK decides in favor of the US, then it will put Julian on a plane to the US. I mean, that is how imminent it is. So really, it's, it's, um, it's a very, very high risk moment for Julian. And what happened during, uh, these two days is that, uh, the, the two judges said that they would withhold their, their decision, uh, until, well, they haven't set a date, but, um, at least a week. Uh, and so we don't know what will happen next. This, it remains the case that if he loses this round, then that's it in the UK. There's no further possibility for appeal. Um, he can try to go to the European Court of Human Rights, but last year, uh, only one only one application to the European Court of Human Rights to stop an extradition or deportation was granted out of 63 applications. So it's really just in uh, extremely rare cases. Of course, we say this is one of them. This is one where there would be irreparable harm. And of course, the European Court of Human Rights uh, should stop an extradition if if the UK finds against him. But it's not a given. So uh, Julian could be on U.S. soil within a matter of weeks. Uh, that's still the case. I'm I'm confused by the role of the UK in this. As far as I understand, he's never been charged with a crime in the United Kingdom. Um, and yet the UK government is holding him, holding a journalist without charging him. I mean, this is what we accuse Russia and Iran and North Korea of doing. Why are British politicians degrading their own system and their history on behalf of the United States government? I feel like I'm missing something here. Well, this is the, uh, this is the default, uh, state of affairs. The, the UK views itself as a lapdog. I mean, it was obvious in court at one point. One of the judges asked the US, uh, well, if, if, uh, the, your argument is that if the Home Secretary sees that there's, that the US issued this extradition request, um, and that it's wrong on the face of it that she wouldn't be able to do anything. And and the U.S. lawyers said, yeah, that's precisely right. It's completely lopsided. The U.S. can do whatever it wants, basically. And that was part of their arguments in court. I mean, not to get too too much into the weeds of the court proceedings, but basically what they were saying was, you have to take these statements of these prosecutors at face value. You don't you know, you don't want to offend um, the United States, our ally. Um, you would be implying that the prosecutors were lying. Um, and of course, uh, that would never be the case. So uh, they were trying to convince the court that that they should just take it all at face value. And of course, inside the courtroom, it's like they're running uh, two parallel cases. I mean, uh, we're we're running uh, the case, that the, the true reality, which is that Julian's a journalist that, that exposed the wrongdoing of the country that's trying to extradite him. And the U.S. is, you know, just trying to uh, attack Julian with all sorts of nonsense. Uh, the U.K. is a willing participant. Of course, his his imprisonment is uh, has gone for so long. He's been, you know, in high, Belmarsh High Security Prison for almost five years. But before that, in the embassy in in, in the Ecuadorian embassy in the heart of London. And during this time, uh, when he was in the embassy. 
it was surrounded by by British police. They were spending something like um, millions and millions. I think it was five million pounds a year on surrounding the embassy, and he was not charged with a crime at the time. It was a it was a show of force, and of course, it was a show of force on behalf, you know, by this British police, but to show uh, the United States that that they were, you know, that they were. They were showing their their allegiance, basically, and that's how we've had this this lawlessness for over a decade to hound Julian, and to kind of send a, a, a signal. And his his imprisonment in Belmarsh, you know, is is part of a game that they play. That the U.S. says, well, the U.K. is keeping him. It's not really us. He's not in the U on U.S. soil. And the U.K. goes, well, it's not really us because this is a U.S. extradition request, and he's been there for almost five years. And so they play this game. And they, uh, you know, he, 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 he's no one's responsibility. And it, it's just, uh, it's a game that they've been playing for years and years. Does it, I, I know you live there, but you follow American politics. Was it surprising to you that Mike Pompeo, uh, the neocon former CIA director who plotted to murder your husband, who had not been charged with anything in the U.S. at that point, that he was allowed to continue to be prominent in the United States? He ran for president. Uh, after that. And no one in the American media said anything about it, really, with a few exceptions, but no one no one even mentioned that. You tried to murder your husband. What did you think of that? Well, I think the CIA is a, is a rogue organization that everyone on every level of the U.S. Uh, politics is, is terrified of. Um, and they are trained to assassinate. They are trained to um, to fabricate information and place it in the media and uh, conduct propaganda warfare and um, in, to overthrow, uh, you know, governments and so on. Um, and, you know, not just abroad, it seems that there is a credible... Uh, case that that they've done so domestically too. I mean, looking at this objectively, you think, well, what on earth is this? You know, there's a whole uh, uh, spiel about about you know U.S. democracy and so on, um, and the CIA is is an agency that has you know caused all sorts of trouble for many countries around the world, but also domestically. Uh, they are a force for destabilization and compromat. Um, and, you know, Mike Pompeo's ability to, uh, uh, you know, move around Washington uh, without consequence, I don't think is because of his, uh, his, uh, I don't know, attractiveness uh, to, to the Washington uh, circles, but rather uh, he's seen as a dangerous person. Uh, but, you know, he tried to run for president and that didn't go very well. Uh, and he wrote a book and no one bought it except for his pack or whatever. Uh, so there's that. Um, but yeah, he, he's a dangerous individual. And uh, even within the CIA, I mean, we know this story about Julian and the, and the murder plot because people within his organization uh, said that he had lost the plot. That, that he had become obsessed with Julian, um, that he wanted to kill Julian, uh, and, and that he was discussing it, you know, in the White House and so on. So that means that there was, you know, internal, internal, um, disagreement about, about his, his obsession. Um, and that's a, that's a, 
sign of hope, of course, within these organizations, there's always, uh, you know, different types of people with, with different levels of integrity and, and commitment to the Constitution and so on. And uh, the fact that many of them then spoke to these um, uh, investigative, investigative journalists and uh, exposed uh, the crazy um, Pompeo uh, murder plot is, you know, commendable. And, and um, I'm, I'm personally very, very thankful to them that they said something, um, not, not, uh, not just because of uh, the fact that it, it, we've been able to introduce it in court, but because um, it shows that that it goes against, you know, very basic uh, rules of, of integrity and um, that, that this obsession with Julian that Pompeo had um, is part of like a, a, a serious collapse, even within the CIA that occurred during this time. Yeah, he is a dangerous person. He should be in prison. Um, and it's just striking that so few journalists ask him about that. Um, none, so far as I know. Um, so tell me, if your husband is extradited to the United States. What, do you think there's any chance he'll receive a presidential pardon? Uh, any any president who looks at this case and understands how it is a danger um, to the the future of the U.S. Um, not just the Constitution, but the political culture that there has been in the United States that has been built on openness and, a, you know, a vibrant um, culture of, of opposition to centralized power. Yes. All of that will go out the window with this case. So any president who actually values these traditional um, constitutional protections should uh, free Julian in whatever, in whatever um, form that takes. If it's a pardon, then you know, I welcome it. I frankly, I don't care how he's freed. He just needs to be freed. Uh, the the corruption and the lawlessness around Julian's case, uh, it's politically motivated. It's it's rotten to the core. Um, all of that is self-evident. And whatever happens, as long as Julian's free, um, you know, everything else is secondary as far as I'm concerned. And, and my last question, how, how is he doing to the extent you can characterize it physically and psychologically? Well, he's not doing well. He wasn't even uh, attending these hearings. And, and this is, you know, the decisive hearing for Julian. Uh, as I said, if he if he loses this round and we don't know yet if he's lost, uh, then he'll be put on a plane to the United States. Um unless we can prevent it some, some other way. But he wasn't even attending, not even in person, not even over video link. He was able to call his lawyers during the hearing. So he was following what was happening in court. Uh, but if he hadn't been kept in Belmarsh High Security Prison uh, during the past five years, he wouldn't be in this state of, of deterioration and decline. Uh, he would have, of course, have attended his own hearing, uh, especially one like this. And I think it's it's should be a wake up call um, that Julian's life is at risk, uh, that every day he spends in prison is a day that his health 
deteriorates. I mean, five years inside that prison, many people don't survive it. There have been many people in Belmarsh who have committed suicide during this time, including a friend of Julian's who was um, also inside the, who he met in the prison and, and who, who became a friend. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a harsh environment and he's under enormous pressure. And he, he's, he knows that the United States um, is the country that's plotted his assassination. So, like, the stakes, the stakes could not be higher. Uh, but he knows there's a lot of support out there. Uh, he knows I'm doing this interview with Tucker, and uh, he knows there's a lot of support. So that is also uh, something that keeps him afloat. Um, he's a fighter. And I think, um, you know, I think the world's waking up. I've seen a lot of support, actually. I've seen a lot of attention this time around. The yeah. press is, I think, starting to realize what the implications are and how how serious this is and that it's not just about Julian, that it's actually um, threatening the press's ability to do its job in a very, very uh, real way, especially the press that does the most important work, the one that makes those in power um, feel uncomfortable and worried about their future careers and, and freedom. Yeah. Not many of those left, but, but some. Stella Sanch, thank you so much for taking this time and Godspeed. Patriots, that's an interview with Tucker Carlson. And that's probably worth checking out his channel for sure. He's got his own Tucker Carlson TV, which there's a lot of questions about Tucker, a lot of questions about other people. And so I just want to kind of close with these thoughts before we go to prayer. Americans want a one-step fix. I see it all the time. And they want one person, one event, everything to fix. What people don't understand is how you move a counterinsurgency. I don't know where Tucker sits. I know that Tucker's reach and impact is huge. And the things that he's bringing up right now are significant in elevating these stories to the world. And his reach is, fen is phenomenal. It's a hundred times what this channel has hundred it's probably 10 to 20 times what Steve Bannon has. And regardless of what's behind all of that, Tucker's on his mission is he's on this journey where he's like literally reevaluating himself every single month and changing his position as he learns more. The awakening is a big process and it's a big process for the world in particular, a big process for the United States. When we put into that Trump worship, which has been over the top, and we put into that Q worship, which has been over the top. We don't do well as a country of understanding the long game. And that's why we're getting defeated. Information like this and is critical because it percolates up some hard questions. Why didn't President Trump pardon him? I could tell you with a belief in the main patriot movement was it was some sort of Q op. That Assange was secretly being worked with behind and he was going to free the world. This is all nonsense, and it's where the PSYOP takes over from truth. So the fact is that Americans have, are very slow at waking up right now. We're being slowly massaged in a main body America into accepting defeat. Part of that is losing the respect for the nation, having a degradation in your trust in government and the military. They're setting the stage for a false flag that will be significant enough that they can then roll in the solution, which will be an AI-driven government, to replace people. And unfortunately, you have a large mass of Gen Z and what's left of millennial class after they've been slaughtered by this death shot that will say yes. 
and even a lot of naive patriots will say yes. Because these are the same people, including patriots, that are using AIs right now to experiment with, to see how they can use it for information warfare, all the long missing the consequences of their action. Americans are horrible at looking at the second, third, and fourth order effects of everything they do. And all of this centers back to a simple principle. Who do you walk with? Right now, there is still a deep lacking in this country of walking truly with God in the pursuit of truth and relying on Holy Spirit on all actions that we do. Instead, it's the God is on the side, do a little prayer in the morning, get things going, and then everything I do the rest of the day is going to be somehow dependent on my logic. So these are important steps in awakening people, just like Q in the beginning was an important step in awakening people. Just like I made my own comment where I was with Assange in 2012, 2006, 2008, and where I am with Assange today is very different. But all of these steps are part of a greater awakening. And it's important to get this information out, but it's equally important to hold everybody to an equal standard and not to be expecting victory through a single person. The Trump worship is one of the most dangerous things I currently think we have as a nation. My perspective on Trump has been, since 2016, he's the best choice we have. But we had a long fight to go to restore this nation, and we still do. And when we get into candidates, and we are believing in candidates, we have to understand that they're in the system. This is a satanic-run cult. They're there, and they're getting funding. And sadly, people are going to go for what they hear is going to be the best without doing the hard research to understand who is the best. They don't ask the hard questions. I could layer another piece on top of this, which has completely screwed up this campaign, which is Israel worship. And this obsessive worship that somehow it's justifiable to wipe out an entire culture, Palestine, for the sake of Israeli state. And that Israeli state is as satanic as it comes. So we're in a, in a very difficult moment right now in our nation of having to come to the deeper and hard truths. And much of this is going to happen when we stop start letting go of our idol worship and start turning our eyes to God and understanding that governments are of men and our true governing body power is God. And when we make that pivot and walk that way, you gain the objectiveness of your view of the world and understand that what we are looking at here is corruption everywhere at some level. And that's because by nature, men are corrupt. And this is exactly the line, that I swear to you this is coming, because that's why I played that Ukraine piece. They are already ramping up to solve that problem for humanity. That in rather than setting up a moral shift and encouraging people to get back to the moral foundations that built this nation, they are going to replace people with AI. And the problem is, and many patriots will follow this, is they believe that that is going to be a solution, that somehow there's going to be a benevolence that they can create in an AI system that will help govern people better and more fairly because they will get the corruption out of the system and replace it with a digital entity. There's no good outcome on that path. And there's no living with AI because the hardest step that we have to make 
is the step that most people don't want to really process. And I say most, I don't say all for sure, because I'm one that believes in the step of Jeremiah 6.16, the ancient paths. We have to get back to living simply, living on the land. We have to strip ourselves of much of the technologies, and we have to be in that headspace of understanding that in order for us to go forward, we have to let go of what we perceive as progress, because progress is not this digital world. This is the mockery of what God is, and everything about it leads to the ultimate ends of destruction, which ultimately is what Assange was revealing. That's it. I mean, that's, this is the hardest choice we have to make, and it's right there. Saturday night, and I'll make more mention of this tonight, Saturday night we're running a special program. It's, it's the, the Gospel of Peace, but it's with Pete Chambers, and he has a big announcement to make on Saturday night, which I'll encourage you to join in. And that will also be parallel streamed on Rumble. So it's a good show to talk about this ancient past, which is really what we're, that's at the core of it. So again, all of these things are layers. We take them as steps. It forces people to ask questions, and that's what we need. People need to be asking questions in the world and ultimately understanding that instead of turning to the digital world, and this is literally your, your, the choice that humanity is being shuttle, shoveled into, it's truly Jeremiah 6, 16, seek the ancient paths and they said they will not walk in it. The not walking in it is to walk into the world where AI is seen as a solution, where the promises of technology and great new things of flying cars and digital cities and this free, free energy, all these things that you hear the Patriot side talk about when they release all this is somehow going to fix the world. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, it will be the greatest step of enslavement people have ever imagined, and there'll be no escaping it. And this is why. You can't fix moral perceptions of the world. You can't get a moral reset in a nation with the gimmicks and toys of Satan. This can't happen. And that's what people want. They want the quick fix. They want to have the gadgets, the bling, the so forth, and they don't want to have to do the hard work, which is to look in the mirror. And until this nation gets to that peace, we are going to be constantly pulled off course with the latest candidate, the latest thing, the latest gadget, the latest promise, the latest hope. We need to be rocked as a nation, unfortunately. And it needs to bring people to their knees and to understand truly whom they truly serve. Let's pray. Father God, let's come to you today very humbled and blessed with all that you give us and guide us with. And Father, we just today, truly, we pray into the entire prayer, the entire passage of Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look, ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, then walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. This is the division point, Father. This is the threshing. This is the moment in time where we're really beginning to see who is going to seek you versus seek the gadgets and technologies and think that they're worshiping you. And so, Father, we're just going to pray on the hearts of people an awakening of the heart to step away from their idolatries, which are massive. And in one way or another, we're all subject to it to different degrees, but we're really praying to shred the idolatries, to understand that in order to for us to move forward in victory, we have to let go of our fears. We have to let go of our obsessions. 
We have to let go of our doubts. We have to release ourselves of shame. And we have to step into the glory of the walk that Christ offered us, which was complete trust in him. And when we do that, the scales fall from our eyes. We cease to see the world through the lens of human governance. And we cease to see the world from the lens of trying to find perfection in an individual. But rather, we put all of our focus on you. And that begins in the word. And it moves into the day. And then every step, every breath we take is aligned with you. It's about submission. So, Father, we just pray for that moment to strike on people's hearts an encounter with Jesus on a global scale. People can truly face truly our king and have a moment that's so profound that leaves them with no doubt whom they should be serving. And with that, to make the choice then of whom they will serve. And there the threshing is done. And so we pray for this and declare this in the name of Jesus, that everyone needs to have a moment, an encounter with our Lord and Savior. And in that moment, then they can choose whom they serve. And there'll be no more dispute, there's no more confusion, because the truth of Jesus before each person leaves no doubt in people's minds. And if they choose not to, then it is their free will and choice to walk away from what is truly promised and offered. So, Father, we just pray for that moment because this is the great threshing that this world needs, and it's the separation between good and evil. It is truly the separation of those who will walk in a place of either obedience and submission or walk in a place of choice of the mind and the flesh over the walk in the Spirit. We pray this over this all the people of the world, Father. It's a bold prayer today. It's a declaration of having an encounter with Jesus across the entire globe simultaneously at one moment, whether in waking, waking dream or sleeping dream, and to understand whom we serve. Pray this in the name of Jesus, in Christ Jesus' name, amen. This is such an important point for all of this. And one of the reasons, again, the fundamental thing that we are out to do is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, and we've done that, then we start to understand truly, I mean, that's one of the most powerful tools we have, that in prayer. And from that evolves the fivefold ministries. So lots ahead, lots of awakening to happen, lots of people still asleep. But the positive thing is God doesn't need everybody. He just needs that metaphorical Gideon 300 that are truly given his hearts, given their hearts to him in the most deep way. Don't question him, don't doubt him. And with that, he can change the world. Be one of those. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight. For Bards FM, until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace 
should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 